Ephesians chapter 5, and um, I, promised, I promised everyone that, uh, that I talked to earlier, I said I had a talk with the preacher tonight, we won't be long, and um, nobody believed that, nobody believed that, but uh, we're, we're, I want to preach a message tonight that is something that I think we, we, often, we often hear it or talk about it maybe, but very few people uh, really and truly in our churches, I think, experience this uh, life every single day. Uh, and I want to ask you a question. I want you to answer this honestly in your own heart tonight. Are you a victorious Christian? Are you living in victory as a Christian? Uh, let me ask you this. As a Christian, are you living in fullness of joy? Do you have a heart full of love? Do you have peace in the inner heart, in the inner man? When you're by yourself, going to bed at night, do you have a heart that's at peace with God? Um, these are all fruits of what we're going to talk about tonight. But I want to tell you, I don't know that we, as we look around, that we know genuinely victorious Christians. You know, the Apostle Paul said in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul said, uh, Now thanks be unto God, which causeth us always to triumph in Christ. You know, when Jesus saved us, he saved us to win. You know, I hear Christians today talking about how bad things are in the world. But we're looking at the wrong world. And they are bad in this world. But I want to tell you, they've been worse. If you look at human history and world history and you go back <laughs> to the dawn of time, there have been civilizations that were in much worse shape than the United States of America is today. And I'm not excusing what we're doing. We are in trouble with the Lord. America needs Christ. But I want to tell you, our hope isn't in America and our hope isn't in government. Our hope isn't in any of that. Jesus looked his disciples square in the eye and he said... In this world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, Jesus oftentimes had a really unusual way and timing when he said, be of good cheer. It was usually when he had just said something really heavy like, hey, guys, in this world, you're going to have a lot of trouble, but cheer up about it. It was when the disciples were on the boat in the middle of the sea. They're all about to drown. When Jesus came walking on the water and said, hey, guys, be of good cheer. <laughs> I mean, they're rowing their, their brains out. And Jesus said, hey, I hope everybody's happy. And I look around the church today and I, and I look at Christians today. I meet them and I talk with them. And we all have burdens and we all have difficulties. And we're all going through our own issues in life. And no man, the Bible says, a man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. So we all have trouble. Every, you can look at every seat in here today. There's a burden. There's a heartache. But I want to tell you. We have, as Christians, the opportunity to face those tribulations, those trials, those burdens with the joy of the Lord. And it's through that that we are the greatest testimony to the world of what a changed life is and what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. You know what the word gospel means? Good news. And Christians ought to be just a glaring testimony in the world of good news. Um, how many of you believe everything that's online? How many of you believe everything that you see on Instagram or Snapchat or, or whatever your social media is? How many of you believe everything? On, how many of you believe everything you see on television? How many of you believe that everything in this Bible is true? Amen. But which one do we spend the most time with? And so tonight we're going to look at something that I think is the, is, the, is the epicenter. It is at the heart of everything it means to be a revived Christian. And what we're going to talk about today might seem like, in our world, it might seem abnormal. But I want to tell you, in the Bible, this is normal Christianity. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number, verse number uh, 17. The Bible says, Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. All right, so Christian, and don't be unwise. But understand God's will. What is God? What is God's will? Well, he tells us in verse 18. Look at it. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Now, the word filled in the Bible has the idea of controlled by. To be filled with something is to be controlled with. Remember when the disciples were on that boat we talked about and the storm came? The disciples were filled with fear. They were controlled by fear. Remember the Pharisees, when Jesus was preaching to them, were filled with indignation. They were controlled by their anger and their wrath. Well, for a Christian to be filled with the Spirit, he gives a comparison of being drunk with wine. It's interesting through the Scripture, you'll always see wine and drunkenness and the Holy Spirit-filled life looking like uh, in comparison. They're, They're always contrasted. And the reason for that is because a man who is drunk with wine is controlled by that wine and a man who is filled with the Spirit is controlled by that Spirit. And both of them are controlled by something other than themselves. That's why if somebody were driving tonight and they'd been at the bar and they'd been drinking and they got pulled over and the police officer took a breathalyzer, they would be charged with what? DUI, driving under the... Influence. Something else was influencing their mind, their thoughts, their actions. Hey, you ever, you ever noticed uh, what happens? And by, by the way, when the, when, the, when, the, when the apostles were first filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost, when they were filled with the Spirit and they, they began to praise God and glorify God and they spoke in other languages and people could hear them in other languages. It was a miracle that what God was doing for the Jews in Acts chapter 2. But remember what the charge was against them? These men are drunken. And Peter had to stand up and say, they're not drunk. It's, just the, it's, it's only the third hour of the day. These men are not drunken as ye suppose. But this is what Joel said in his prophet. And in the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon the world. See, Satan always has cheap substitutes for what God get, that God has offered. And that's exactly what drugs and alcohol is. And you young people better listen to me. Drugs and alcohol in our world today is nothing more than a cheap substitute of God's life that he has for you. It promises you a temporary heaven, but it leads you to an eternal hell. It puts you into bondage. It puts you into addiction and destruction. And it it promises you everything and delivers you nothing. But to be filled with God's spirit, you think about this for a minute. You think, think about a guy who gets drunk. My, my dad was a drunk. My dad was raised in a, in a home, and he began to drink when he was just a little boy. My dad married my mom. They were married at 18 and 16. My mom was raised in the home of the town drunk. My mom's mother was the town drunk in Red Lodge, Montana. My mom never knew her real dad. My mom's nickname was Ragbag Johnson. She grew up very, very poor. She met my dad. My mom was a waitress at Natalie's Cafe in Red Lodge, Montana. My dad came in as a teenage boy, and they began to date. And my dad asked my mom to marry him on November the 17th under a streetlight. They were married November the 18th at the Justice of the Peace, 18 and 16. But my dad, at 18 years old, couldn't get out of bed without drinking a six-pack of beer. My dad was drinking constantly. My mom and dad had a few children, and they were getting divorced. When my dad was 25 years old, my mom separated from my dad. And they were getting divorced. And a man that my, my dad worked with, at the Chevrolet garage named Bill Wickham, was trying to lead my dad to Christ. He kept trying to tell him about Jesus. My dad wouldn't listen to that. He kept cursing him and tearing up gospel tracts and throwing them back at Bill. But Bill just was kind. He wasn't pushy. He was kind. And he just prayed for my dad, encouraged him. My mom, while she was separated from my dad, my mom, what they didn't know is my mom was expecting their fourth baby. And while my mom was separated from my dad, she had that baby. And uh, he was born with with a hole in his heart. Well, in this world today, they could fix that. But in 1965, they couldn't fix that. And Dace lived for about a month and a half, and then he died. My mom never got to hold him um, and uh, never got to put her hands on him. And he died. And here's this broken little couple. Uh, My dad, a drunk. My mom, uh, despising that. She's trying to raise three kids by herself. 
And, uh, and then my dad, uh, Bill Wickham, came to work one day with tears in his eyes. And he said, Dean, I didn't know all that you were going through. Some of the men told me that your wife is separated from you and that you just had a baby die. He said, I prayed for you today. And he had tears coming down his eyes. He gave my dad a gospel track and said, I'd love for you to read this. The gospel track was, What Must I Do to Be Saved? by John Rice. My dad read about how we're all sinners. And he read that and said, I'm a sinner. And he read that Jesus died, not for his own sin, but for our sins. And Jesus took your sins on the cross. And Jesus was buried and he rose again from the dead to defeat sin and defeat death. And he offers eternal life to whosoever will come by faith and put their faith in him as Lord and Savior. And my dad got under conviction. He went and talked to Bill Wickham, started asking him some questions, hoping that Bill wouldn't know that he was interested. <laughs> and Bill picked up on it right away. And Bill said, let me give you a ride home after work. And so he took my dad home after work. And they were sitting in the car, and Bill was going through the Scripture, explaining salvation by grace through faith. It's not religion. It's not a church. It's not communion. It's not baptism. It's faith in the finished work of Jesus. And as he was giving him the gospel, uh, my dad looked up and said, hey, there's my, there's my wife. And my mom was walking up the street. She was coming to the house to get some clothes uh, for her and the kids. And my, my, my uh, dad had never introduced Bill Wickham to my mom. My mom had never met him. And Bill Wickham jumped out of the car, and he said, are you Jerry Miller? And she said, yes. And he said, I'm just talking to your husband. I work with your husband at the Chevrolet garage. I was just talking to your husband. She said, about what? And he said, I was just showing him how he could know for sure that you can see your baby again in heaven. Would you like to know that? And my mom said, more than anything. And he took my mom in the house with my dad, and they knelt by the couch, and they got saved. Amen. And uh, he began to disciple them, and they went to church there, and they grew in the Lord. And uh, eventually, dad got called to preach, and they moved to Denver. And then outside of their salvation, the greatest thing in their life happened in Denver. They had me. And uh, I was a life changer. But I want to tell you, my dad, he, 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 dad, would, dad would point out people that on the street. My dad said, look at that guy. He's drunk. Look at him. He's drunk. And dad would, dad would point that out as, to us boys. Hey, listen, don't give your life to that. Don't give your life to that. I would go with my dad down to the rescue mission. We would meet these men that were drunk. I'm going to tell you something. I, I, met, I met some people that, that were uh, addicted to alcohol, and I'd see them in that state. And, it, boy, it was scary to me as a kid. You know, a drunk guy would walk in, and you could always tell they were drunk because they walked different. You know, they stagger around, and they talk different. They, they, get, a, they get a slur, and, and their tongue gets thick, and they, you know. And, and some of them, they get real, they get real happy. And they sing, well, I got a song. I want, you know, they sing, or, or they get real bold. And the littlest guy will go to the biggest guy in the bar, and he'll say, I, I want to take you outside, boy. And, or they get real generous. Bartender, give a drink for everybody here. And, and uh, they, they, all those things because they're under the control. By the way, God said that's, that's, what, uh, th that's the cheap substitute of what it is to be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you'll walk different. When you're filled with the Spirit, you'll talk different. When you're filled with the Spirit, you'll, you'll, you'll sing different. When you're filled with the Spirit, you'll have a different boldness. When you're filled with the Spirit, you'll give more generously. There's something about the filledness of the Spirit. And God said, don't be drunk with that cheap substitute. Be filled with the Spirit. I want to ask you a question tonight. Right now where you sit in your chair, I'm talking about you. Right now. Are you completely, completely, continuously filled with the Spirit of God? Have you asked Him today to fill you? Have you asked the Lord to give you the fullness of the Holy Spirit today? You see, let me explain this to you, and I want to show you this, but let me explain it to you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, when I got saved... The Spirit of God came to live within me. It's called the indwelling of the Spirit. He came to move in. He lives in me. What? Know you not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, you're bought with a price? 
You know, I've often thought about going to heaven, Pastor, and I've thought about when I get to heaven, I can't wait to sit down by the river and, 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 say, and say, Abraham, come here, Abraham, come here. Abraham, tell me what it was like to walk up Mount Moriah with, with Isaac when he's looking at you and he's saying, Dad, we have the fire and we have the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And you're telling him, God will provide a lamb. What was that like to put your son on the altar and, and, and really in your heart of hearts be ready to give him in sacrifice when God stopped? And, and I can just imagine Abraham would say, Abraham would say, no, no, Dean, Dean, hang on. Oh, that was amazing, but I want to talk about something else. What was it like to have God living in you? You know, I want to talk to David and say, David, what was it like to go down in that valley and face Goliath? Were you scared? I know I would be. I mean, were you terrified when you went down there? David, did you, did you really have good aim or were you so nervous the stone went and God had to bring it back and knock the giant out? And David's going to say, oh, yeah, that was amazing. But listen, listen, listen. What was it like every day to have God living in you? Like David, David would say, David would say, Dean, I, I was, I was in the, I was in the, I was in the palace, and I would look over at the temple, the tabernacle, and I would see those priests at the door. I could see them in the courtyard offering sacrifices, and I, I remember thinking, oh, to be a doorkeeper at the house of God, to be around the place where the glory of God would come down. To be over there where sacrifices were being made, where the sweet-smelling savor was, where the presence of God was. Uh, I mean, it was a joy to be the friend of God. It was a joy to be a man after God's own heart. It was a, man, it was a joy to be a mighty warrior for Christ. But, but, but Dean, I can't imagine what it would have been like to have my body be that tabernacle that God would dwell in. That God would live in you. See, I think, I think as Christians, we forget today. We forget the privilege that we have. That when we got saved, you know, you know, think about this for a minute. Think about this. The Father, God the Father loved you so much that He gave His Son. He gave His Son uh, for you. Jesus died and he loved you so much that Jesus was willing to give himself for you. But when he rose from the dead, he sent the Spirit of God so that he could give himself to you. So that he could now live his life through you. Do you, you understand that? That Jesus died for you so he could give himself to you. So he could live his life through you. See, listen to me, Christian. Listen, the Christian life is not hard. The Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. Because there's only one person who's ever lived the Christian life. And if I'm going to live it, and you're going to live it, it's going to have to be him living it through you. People said to Paul, Paul, how do you do all that you do? I mean, you've been in shipwrecks and you've been beaten and you've been in jail, but you've been from Athens, you've been, to, you've been down to uh, Antioch, you've been up to Galatia, you've been to Asia, I mean, all these places that you've been. Paul, you've, been, you've worked in Corinth and you worked in Philippi and all the things that you've done and you, all these miles you traveled on foot and on horseback and on ship and you, you've, you've, you've reached thousands and thousands of people, started all these churches and written scripture and all that you've done. Paul, how did you do it? And he said, I didn't. I said, no, no, you, what do you mean you didn't? He said, no, I, I'm dead. I'm crucified. Well, Paul, I mean, not really are you crucified. I mean, you're standing right here. And he goes, no, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. Paul said, it's, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, he said, for Christ, who is our life, 
Jesus said in John 15 and 3, without me you can't do nothing. Does everybody understand this? The Christian life is not hard, it's impossible. When you get saved, when you come to Jesus Christ and you receive Him as your Savior, you are made new. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. Old things passed away. All things have become new. Why? Because Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we've become partakers of the divine nature. We now have the life of God in us. Now, that's, the, that's, that's Christ. That's the Holy Spirit indwelling us. He comes to move in. But then there is more than just the indwelling. You have the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's when the Holy Spirit fills the life, controls the life in every way. See, our, we're not like a vessel and the Holy Spirit like liquid and we, we, you know, we're half full. He's not a liquid and we're not the vessel. He's a person and we're a temple. Being filled with the Spirit is not getting more of the Spirit. It's the Spirit getting more of you. Have you ever, you ever been sitting at your house in an evening with your family? Maybe you're watching a movie or you're watching a ball game and all of a sudden somebody knocks at the door. Somebody rings the doorbell. Now, I don't know about your home, but when I was growing up, that was awesome. When people rang the doorbell at our house, we're like, we were finally like, oh, get it! We're running to the door. And I'll tell you why. Because, you know, to have company come to the house was awesome because mom always made special food that was always saved for company. (laughs) Anybody else's mom do that? You don't touch it. That's for company. So when somebody rang the doorbell, ding dong, it was like, we're getting cake! Whoa! You know, we're, we're running to the door, I'll get it, we're fighting, my brothers, we're sliding on the corner in our socks, knocking stuff over, we're opening the door, you know, like, hey, and it's just the neighbor, like, hey, your dog's out, oh, come on. But you know, when people knock, knock on your door today, or they ring the doorbell today, it is not the same reaction. Somebody rings the doorbell, and everybody's like, down! Who is it? Who's there? Did you invite anybody? Emily, get down! Everybody shimmy! Take your shoes off. Slip over. Look out the window. Who is it? Or we got our ring doorbell. Like, who is that? It's like a home invasion now. Somebody comes in the house. They, they get in the house. And you're like, oh, hey, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we're just in there. Just thought we'd stop by. Awesome. We're really glad. But behind you, everybody's like throwing stuff in the closet, under the couch, pushing stuff in the bathroom. You're like, come on in. And then you're like, and what do we always say? No, no, come on in. Have a seat. Make yourself at, at home. Can I, get, can I get you something to drink? Ah, we got tea. We got coffee. I don't know what it is about the South. I love the South. I grew up in Colorado, and then I moved to Mississippi. If you're from there, it's Mississippi. There's only one set of S's. It's Mississippi. And I don't know what it is about the South, but everybody down here loves their sweet tea. Colorado, you say, hey, you got any sweet tea? Sugar's on the table. You know, they don't have sweet tea. They got pot. They don't have sweet tea. (laughs) But people down here push sweet tea like pot. Everywhere you go, hey, you want some sweet tea? 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 Hey, can I get you some sweet tea? You want some sweet tea? You want some? Like, no, I don't. You don't want no sweet tea? (laughs) Something wrong with you. You ain't from around here, boy. You don't want no sweet tea. (laughs) No, I I don't want to drink something that I could also pour on my pancakes. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, I went to the fridge one time. My babe wore out of syrup. She's like, just get the swing tea. Okay. (laughs) Like, if you have to eat something and give yourself a diabetic shot, you're living in the South. Let me just tell you something. Everybody said the South will rise again. Uh Uh-uh. We ain't rising again. Listen to me. You know what you have for breakfast? You have biscuits and gravy. You had, you had, for lunch, you had chicken and gravy. For supper, you had, you had steak, chicken fried steak and gravy with mashed potatoes and gravy. You basically have been eating paper mache all day long. You, you ain't getting off the couch. South is going to rise again. South ain't going nowhere, man. South is at home going, give me some more sweet day. I'm just telling you right now, that, this is, this is, 
But, but, but somebody comes to the house, you're like, hey, make yourself at home. Have a seat right here. Let me, let me get you some sweet tea or let me get you some coffee. And they're like, yeah, I'll take some coffee. All right, good. So you go in there. You're tripping over the stuff that people have shoved under the counters. And you're getting the coffee ready. Pretty soon it brews and you come back. You know, hey, here, oh, where, where do they go? Bill? And you can't find them. You start calling and all of a sudden you hear somebody upstairs and you go upstairs like, Bill? Like, yeah, I'm back here. Bill, what are you doing in my bedroom? I'm just going through your stuff, man. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that you paid this much for this house. Like, uh, Bill, you can't be in this room. Well, why not? You said to make myself it. See, what, what happens is we, a lot of times we bring people in, but we say, okay, you come in and make yourself a home in this room. But if you have to use the bathroom, no, because we just stuck all of our stuff in there. This is what we do with the Holy Spirit. We get saved and we bring the Holy Spirit in. The Holy Spirit comes in to live and we say, okay, now, you can come to my church room. But you can't go to our entertainment room. You can't go to our, our, our family room. You, you can't go to our friend room. You can't go to our relationship room. See, being filled with the Spirit is when it's, it's, he's not just a guest in the house. It's his house. And he has the key to every closet. He can go to any corner. He can open any drawer. He can review your searches online. He's, in fact, he controls what you do. He's in every, every area of every place in your life filled with the Spirit. You see, and this is what God said to us. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. You say, okay, well, what does that look like? Let me show you what it looks like. First of all, I want you to understand this is our, this is our obedience. It's a command to be filled with the Spirit. And by the way, that means to be being filled. It's a continual present tense. And every day, Father, fill me with your Spirit. Lord, I'm going into this meeting today. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, I'm driving home. I want to go home filled with the spirit. Lord, I've, I've got to meet with this friend. May I be filled with the spirit. Lord, I'm going to church. May I be filled with the spirit. Listen, being filled with the spirit is an obedience. It's a command to be obeyed. And then here's what it does. It, it, it's the only way that we can ever meet our obligations. Let me show you what our obligations are. Look at verse 19. <clears throat> immediately he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the first thing that the Holy Spirit will do is he gets into the obligation that you have for worship. You see, listen, God created you for fellowship and for worship. God created you for his good and his glory. The highest aim of man is to, is to know God and to worship God and to enjoy him forever. And so, listen, a worshiping Christian is not a spirit-filled Christian. And so the first thing the Lord said is when you get filled with the Spirit, it's going to change your worship. It's going to bring worship into your heart. It's going to bring into your life a speaking and a singing of hymns and songs and spiritual songs to the Lord in your heart. Listen, I tell our people all the time, we do not come to church to worship. We bring our worship with us. See, one of the misnomers is that we've made, we've made worship to be a segment of a service in church. It's the time that we sing. No, no, no. Worship is all through the week. Worship is me giving God. It's an old English word, worthyship. It's me giving God what He is worthy. It is me worthying His name. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Father. Worthy is the Spirit. Worthy is the God that created us. Worthy is our Jehovah. Listen, it is worship and it is praise and it is singing and it is worship all through the day. You know, I, I, it's, it's amazing to me today. How that churches have become, they've, they've, they've taken worship and we've turned it into a battleground. And, and we fight over worship. 
But then other churches and other Christians have turned worship into a playground. Whatever feels good goes, man. It's all okay. But listen, to God, worship is not battleground and worship is not playground. Worship is holy ground. It is where you meet with God and you glorify Him in your heart. Have you worshipped God today? Have you been singing to God today? I'm talking about making melody in your heart. Has has the Word of God gotten into your heart and then returned to Him in songs and praises and hymns? That's worship to God. It'll change your worship. And then let me show you this. Look at verse number 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ has also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined into his wife and they too shall be one flesh this is a great mystery but i speak concerning christ and the church nevertheless let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband listen the second thing that you see in order from the holy spirit filling a christian is it gets into his worship life he has his right relationship with his heavenly father he is worshiping and glorifying god but then it gets into his wedded life It gets into the home. You are not the Christian that everybody thinks you are at the church. You are the Christian that your family knows you to be at home. That's where your Christianity comes to play. It's when a husband and a wife in that home begin to fulfill the role that God made them and wives are to submit themselves to their husbands. And you say, me? Submit to that guy? No way. I'm not submitting to that two-legged devil. Oh, wait a minute. Wives, the Lord has told us to do that. And there's no way that a wife can do that apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. I've had ladies say, well, why does God always give us the hard part as the women? Well, think about this. I don't think he does. Because then he turns and says, now, you husbands, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for it sacrificially. Jesus died for himself. You love, you love your wife like you love your own body. And everybody knows that men love their own bodies. Listen, a woman, men and women totally see themselves differently. A wife can sit down at the mirror and she can spend 45 minutes fixing her hair, putting on makeup getting her outfit right, and then getting the next outfit right, and then getting the next outfit right, and then going back to the original outfit. Do I have a witness? And she can walk away from that. Listen, she can walk away from that absolutely gorgeous and say, oh, I look horrible. And a guy gets up. He throws on whatever he can find. He's got a pot belly receding hairline, walks by the mirror and goes, mm, not bad, looking good. All right, he's out the door. And he thinks he's awesome. I mean, only men can do that. And I want to tell you, if a man, if his belly growls and he's hungry, he's going to feed it. I mean, wives, you're, you know what I'm talking about. You're fixing supper and the husband comes home and he's in the pantry snacking on chips. And you're like, I'm fixing supper. And he's like, I'm hungry. And by the way, ladies, has he ever one time ever not eaten the meal? He's going to eat the meal. Let him have the chips. He's going to eat the meal. He's hungry. He ain't going to go without. 
But God said, listen, I know how you men love your own bodies, and I know how you, I know how you think about yourself and you take care of yourself, and you can be so self-centered, and you cannot have a whole lot of money to give to missions, but you can buy that new four-wheeler, and you cannot have a whole lot to give to the church, but you can buy that new rifle, and if you want it, you're going to get it. You're going to figure out how to get that boat. You're going to figure out how to get it to the lake, and you're going to figure out how to have time, and you can do that, but you may not have time for your kids, but you know how to make time for you. Now I want you to die to that. And I want you to love them like I loved the church. I had a young man years ago tell me, he said, Pastor, I, I'm in trouble in my marriage. And they were, they were not married long. And I said, what's going on? He said, I'm obsessed with my wife. I think about her all the time. I can't stop thinking about her. I text her. I call her. He said, I think I love her too much. I said, Charles? Do you love her like Jesus loved the church? He goes, no, I don't think I love that much. I said, well, then go get after it, boy. You don't love her enough. And by the way, can I just tell you something, men? I've never found a wife yet who had trouble submitting to a man who loved her like that. Isn't it interesting how that Jesus loved the church and he loves this church? And let me ask you a question, Gateway. Is this a perfect church? Does this church submit itself perfectly to Jesus? Is Jesus in here demanding submission from you tonight? Is he lording over you and demanding it aggressively? No. He's patient with you and he pleads with you and he speaks with you and he loves you. Even when you're doing him wrong. Now listen to me. That's how marriage should be. And you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. You cannot be what you need to be without the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And it even goes further than that. Chapter, two, chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, you can't obey the, the, your parents in the Lord if the Lord's not in you. And being obedient to the Lord and submitting to Him and being having Jesus as your Savior and living in you and then you loving and obeying your parents. And then the Bible says in verse number 2, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment of promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Hey, the Bible doesn't qualify this to obey and to honor uh, uh, good parents. It just says your parents. And you obey them as though they are the Lord. That it can be well with you. You know why so many people's lives don't go well? Their life doesn't go well because they've mistreated their parents. They don't have a long and prosperous life, a good life, a well life because they didn't honor their parents. And God, help us tonight in our homes to have wives who are reverencing their husbands and husbands who are loving their wives and children who are obeying their parents. And can I tell you something? If you did that, your family would be totally contradicting the world. That doesn't happen in the world today. We don't see in the world today wives reverencing their husbands and husbands loving their wives and children obeying their parents. No, we see a rat race of broken homes And if you're going to have this kind of a home, it's going to require the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse number, he says in verse number four, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't, don't push your children into a frustration and an anger. You know how fathers do that? Fathers provoke their children to wrath by being angry fathers. And you can do that when your kids are little. You can walk in and fly off the handle and you can lose your temper and you can put a heavy hand down and you can say it with anger and everybody gets quiet and you think, I'm in control. No, 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 what you're doing is you're putting a burden. Sand is weighty, a stone is heavy, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. And you're putting a burden on your family. And one of these days, that 16-year-old boy is going to get tired of carrying that burden. And he's going to bow up at you and he's going to give to you what you've given to him. And now you're going to have another angry man in the house. 
and it produces rebellion. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Let me say it again. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. One of the most deceptive things about angry men is they're justified in their anger. I have a right to be angry. This is what's going on in my home, and I have a right to be angry and make this fix. Listen, you cannot do wrong to get the family to do right. David said of God, thy gentleness hath made me great. Aren't you glad that God is long-suffering with us, word? And that God is, that's why the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Be angry and sin not. And here's what I'm telling you. The only way that you can be angry and not sin is to be angry at sin. We ought to be angry today of what sin does to people. We ought to be angry at how sin affects our own hearts and our lives and destroys lives. Listen to me. But we ought to have gentleness and long-suffering and peace. We ought to be able to speak the truth in love. That's what's going to make the difference. He says, fathers, don't you provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That is the picture of a husbandman. That is a picture of a gardener. That is a man who is tenderly caring for those tender plants and making sure that they have something of structure to grow on and to cling on. The Bible tells us clearly in Psalm 112 that the man that fears the Lord, that man, his children and his wife will be like olive plants around his table. His wife will be like a vine on the side of the house. Listen, olive plants and vines, they need something with which they can cling to to grow. I hear men oftentimes say, man, my wife is so clingy. My kids are so needy. Yes. And the problem is not their clinginess and their neediness. The problem is, is we're not a strong enough wall to support them. But men who nurture, men who bring them up, men who can bring them from a tender plant into a full blossoming plant with fruit. That's a spirit-filled home. Holy Spirit gets into our worship. The Holy Spirit gets into our wedded life. I'll hasten with this, but the Holy Spirit gets into our work. Verse number five, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Now these are biblical terms, servants and masters. Today this would be employees and employers. So the command is to the employee, employee, be obedient to your employer according to the flesh, with fear, that's respect and trembling in singleness of heart. Now watch this. As unto Christ, you go to work and you see your, your supervisor as though that supervisor was Jesus himself. And you work for that supervisor as though you were working for the Lord. Verse number 6 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as unto the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth the same shall he receive of the Lord. Whether he be bond or free. Listen, whether you're in that job because you are tied to that job or whether you are free in that job, it doesn't matter. He said it doesn't matter. You'll change your whole life if you go as a Christian into your workplace and you will submit to your employers as though they were Jesus and you will do your job not because they're watching and you do that not just to please men but you do it to please God and can I tell you something the greatest mission field in the world is where Christians go to work on Monday it's amazing to me we'll come to churches and we'll have revival meetings we'll have missions conferences and we'll send people we'll give money to send people around the world to tell the gospel and then we go to work on Monday with a grumbly attitude a discontented heart a, and, a, and, a, and a discontented spirit and we go in and we, and we do our jobs half hearted we have an angry heart while we're at work we complain with other employees about the management and we tear down our company and our bosses and everybody else and we expect that they're supposed to believe what we say in the pulpit but on Sunday, I really believe this. I believe more people out there would believe what the preacher said on Sunday if the people would live it on Monday. Yeah. See, your job is not your job. It's your ministry. And God wants you to go into your workplace and turn it into a holy place. And Christian, here's what he's saying. You cannot divide your life into the secular and the spiritual. 
Can you imagine Jesus dividing his life into secular and spiritual? No, no. Everything Jesus did was spiritual work. I always do those things that please the Father. Listen, when you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you, and everywhere you go, you're the temple of God, that means everywhere you go is holy ground. Everything you do is work to the Lord. Everything you do is a passion for Christ. It's mission. It's ministry. It's, it's glorifying to God. And it gets into your work life. He says to us in verse number 9, And ye masters or you employers, do the same things unto them. If you're the Christian boss, then you treat your employees as though they were Jesus. Forbearing threatening. Don't threaten them. You don't have to walk around and threaten your people to work. You shouldn't be an overlord as a boss, as a Christian. Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. He's just simply saying, look, if Christians would show up as employees or employers filled with the Spirit of God, it would change our city. You need the Holy Spirit. To be married, you need the Holy Spirit to go to work. You need the Holy Spirit to worship God. And let's talk about our warring life for a minute. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You young people, listen to me. There is a real devil in this world, and he is seeking to whom he may devour. And he has developed a world system, and that system of this world will, will, is under his authority. He is the prince of this world. He is the god of this world. He has created a system. There are three worlds. There are three worlds. There is the world that God made. Isn't it beautiful? There's the world that God loves. They're sitting around you tonight. You've never met a person that God didn't love. God so loved the world. There's a world that God made. There's a world that God loves. And there's a world that hates God. It's a system designed of politics. It's a system designed in education and entertainment. And all of it has one chief aim. And that is the defilement and the distraction of the hearts of men to allure men into a love of something other than God. It's on every MTV. It's on every, every hip-hop song. It's in every country song and rap song. And secular music is a philosophy of self-love and self-pleasure and anything and everything other than love of God and worship of God. It's in all of our entertainment and our movies. They glorify sin. They glorify ungodliness. They magnify anything that's against God. There is a system out there that is organized and structured. And somebody said, well, it's a conspiracy. Yes, and it's a conspirator, and his name is Satan, and he's developed a kingdom of darkness, and he has gotten into Hollywood, and he's gotten into advertisements, and he's gotten into social media, and he's got a system that is to distract us and to defile us and to destroy us. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you young people, listen to me. He will eat you up and spit you out. The Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. God has a plan for your life. And he's saying, I want, I want you to be a, I don't want you to be a victim. I want you to be a victor. I want you to put on armor, and I want to turn you into a soldier, and I want you to send you out into this world to wage war, not against the people, but against his, their prince. I want you to fight against that old devil, and I want you to overcome him by the word of the God, and I want you to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Satan has prisoners in his, in his prison camp of this world. They're in chains of drugs and alcohol and sex and addictions, and they're in darkness, and they're in self-love, and they're in all kinds of confusion. They don't know who they are and what they are and what they and listen listen to me and we as christians are to walk out with the armor of god our helmets protected with salvation our hearts protected with righteousness our loins protected with truth our feet walking in the gospel walking behind the faith with a sword of the spirit the word of god delivering people from their sin and bringing people to christ that's the warning life of a christian I'm not going out in this world looking at everybody as my enemy. I'm looking at everybody that needs to be rescued. We have one enemy, and his name is Satan. You have to be spirit-filled to fight him. Remember, Simon? Simon, Jesus said, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. I've prayed for thee. Oh, listen, 
He has now given us his spirit and he can put on the armor of God and we can walk out in the power of his might. See, this is what a spirit-filled life does. It gets into your worship. It changes your worship. It changes your, your home life. It changes your work life. It changes your spiritual warfare life. And let me show you this very quickly, and I'm done. It says in verse number, it says in verse number 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And as for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may... Open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that wherein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. A spirit-filled life gets into your witnessing life. It helps you to open your mouth and boldly proclaim the gospel. It gives you wisdom on how to Make known the mystery of the gospel. You know, isn't it something to try to tell somebody about the gospel? Down south, it was interesting. We went to Black Rifle Coffee today, and the young ladies that were behind the counter, when they said, are you active military? And, and pastor said, oh, no, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, you're in the Lord's Army. And they were excited about that. They were happy that we were there. They didn't give us a discount, but they were happy that we were there. <laughs> Oh, did we really? Oh, I didn't know that. They gave us a discount. That's awesome. We had the armor on today. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you this. In Colorado, that's not the same reaction. And I've talked to people. I've met people in the last, in the last two years that I've lived there. I've met people who didn't know who Jesus was. I was talking to a young man the other day, and I asked him a question. We were sitting in a, in a cafe, and I saw him over there reading a book, and I, I said, what are you reading? And he told me, and I began to talk with him, and I began to share the gospel with him. And I asked him if anybody had ever told him about Jesus, and he said, who's that? Seriously, in this country, 18 years old, freshman in Colorado State University, lived his whole life, went through all of his school, graduated high school, has never heard of Jesus. I began to tell him about the, I began to tell him about the gospel. He said, yeah, I've always seen crosses on churches, but I didn't know what that had to do with religion. And I began to tell this guy about how God sent his son to be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, and how this boy who had no earthly daddy, how he grew up, never had sin, because he didn't have an earthly dad. He was all man and all God. And let me tell you, as I'm telling the story, he grew up without, and he died on a cross and shed his blood and was put in a grave and rose again. And as I'm telling him, I mean, isn't that a pretty foolish sounding story to somebody who's never heard it before? And I'm trying to make known to this kid the mystery of the gospel. And I remember talking to him thinking, Lord, I need your spirit. I need, I need help. You're going to have to help me. But I want to tell you something. I'm telling him the most crazy story that this kid has ever heard in his life. How there was a man who was born in this world from a woman and had no father. And in eternity, he was a son without a mother. And he came here without any sin. And he died on a cross for something he didn't do. But for my sin, they put him in a grave and then he rose from the dead. And then he rose back to heaven and he's in heaven ready to save us if we call. I mean, I'm telling him the gospel and it's an outlandish story to this kid. But I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit was making known the mystery of the gospel in his heart. And I saw the tears in his eyes and he knew that what I spoke was the truth. Now, I couldn't do that. I needed the Spirit of God to make known the mystery. And you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to, you know, I, I, I'm thankful for, for uh, um, apologetics. And I'm thankful for people who help us understand what we believe and why I believe. And I think it's so important. But listen to me. People are not saved because we win an argument. They're saved because we love them and we share the gospel. And the Holy Spirit convinces them of their need for Christ. And you need the Holy Spirit for that. You see, here's what I'm saying tonight, and I'm done. Be filled with the Spirit. You're never going to have revival in your home, in your life, in this church, apart from Christians who are open and surrendered to the Spirit of God.
Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, he said, if ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give unto them the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Every day. When I was a, I'm going to tell you a crazy story. When I was a teenager, we had a boy that came to our church on our bus routes. His name was Carl. Carl came to church on the bus route. And I, I know I've preached too long tonight, but listen. Carl came on our bus route, and he, he, his parents didn't come to church with him. Carl didn't have much money. And uh, Carl, Carl came on the bus route. Man, God got a hold of Carl. He got saved. He got baptized. And Carl wanted to go to our Christian school. Well, there's tuition for the Christian school. And, and so uh, Carl went out and got him a job. 16 years old, he got a job. He started earning money. Carl would work at McDonald's in the afternoons into the evenings, and then Carl would get up early in the morning. He'd go throw papers. He had a paper out in the morning. He worked at McDonald's at night. And, man, Carl was a hard worker. He moved up. He was actually a manager at McDonald's at 17. It was, it was a very amazing story. But, but Carl didn't know anything about anything. He just loved the Lord, and he was coming to church. Well, one day... My youth pastor and I were driving down the road, and uh, we were going to make a visit, and we're going up this really steep hill in, uh, in Colorado. And I look over, and I said to my youth pastor, I said, hey, look at Carl. There's Carl. And Carl, and, and some of you young kids won't know what this is, but back in the, back in the late 80s, uh, there was something called a moped. Anybody remember a moped? A moped is a bicycle with a motor on it, and you pedal it. But you can also, you know, it's got a little motor on it. But here's Carl. He's going up this hill, and he's pedaling for all he's worth up this hill. And you can see him. He's just sweating. He's got his McDonald's shirt on. He's going to work, and he's just, and we're three lanes over. And I said, I think that's Carl. And my youth pastor's like, what is he doing <laughs> pedaling that moped up the hill? And so we went on, made our visit or whatever. And, and the next day, I happened to be standing in the church when Carl came in, and my youth pastor said, Carl, come here. He said, why were you pedaling up that hill? He said, I was going to work on my bike. He said, Carl, why were you pedaling up that hill? That hill is huge. It's like a mile straight up. And he said, well, I had to get to work. And he goes, well, why didn't you use the engine? And Carl said, what engine? <laughs> I mean, Carl had just bought this bike from a guy. He didn't know that it was a moped. So my, my, my youth pastor took Carl out and said, Carl, look, look right here. See, this is an engine. Yeah? He said, you put gas in this. And so we went to the shed and at the church, we got a little gas. We put a little gas in there. My youth pastor kicked that thing. It fired right up. Carl never pedaled again. <laughs> he never pedaled that thing one more time. You'd see Carl, man, he'd be on that thing just like, he was riding everywhere, a little cloud of smoke behind him. He was the happiest guy. Carl, you'd always see Carl, he'd come in, he had bugs in his teeth. He was a happy motorcyclist. I mean, Carl was so happy. I'm talking to a lot of Carls tonight. In your Christian life, you're trying to peddle this life. You're trying to be a good husband. You're trying to be a good husband, a good wife, a good Christian. You're trying to do everything that you think you need to do for God, and you are wearing yourself out trying to pedal this Christian life around, and God has given you an engine. God has given you the power to do it all. You just say to him, fill me. You're in control. And I'll go where you lead me and I'll do what you want me to do. But be filled with the Spirit. Father, I pray tonight that in this room tonight there would be some young men, some young ladies who would get a hold of this idea and this promise that you have given to us your spirit and he wants to fill us and control us and have every part of our life. If we would yield it to him, give to him that power, he would give to his, us all his power. Lord, I pray that tonight there would be some transformed lives of true spirit 
filled believers. Who's here this, this evening would say, Pastor Miller, I know the Spirit of God lives in me. I'm saved. But I desire, I do want to be a Spirit-filled Christian. God spoke to me tonight. I want to be filled with the Spirit of God every day. I want to walk in the fullness of the power of Christ. That's my true, earnest desire. We just slip your hand way up high tonight. That's me. That's me. That's me. Hey, lower your hand. Who's here tonight would say, Pastor Miller, I don't know for sure that Jesus lives in me. I don't know that I have ever been born again. I need to get that settled. If I die tonight, I am not 100% sure I'm going to heaven. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. I want them to be. I want them to be, but I don't know for sure. I'd like to know for sure tonight. Would you slip your hand way up high and say, that's me. I don't know for sure, but I want to know. I don't know Christ as my Savior, but I want to know him. You just slip your hand way up high. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise you. I don't know you. I won't come to you. But I do want to pray for you. God bless you. Who else? Just slip your hand way up high and say, pray for me. Pray for me. Let's all stand quietly to our feet. Lord, you've seen the hearts. I've seen some hands, but you know the hearts. And I pray tonight that we would be yielded, that we would use this time right now to respond to you as you have responded to us. In Jesus' name.